Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. How we doing? That was weak. Come on, guys. You're in the best place in the world you could possibly be. God's house, surrounded by God's family. What a wonderful place to be. Uh, we are going to be starting a new series today called The Four Spiritual Laws. Now, I know that sounds really fun, right? Anytime we talk about laws, it sounds highly exciting. But the four spiritual laws are important for us because as Christians, you and I have a duty not only to have a good relationship with God ourselves, but God has asked you and I to also go out and to share the gospel with other people. And so we have a responsibility not just to personally make sure we're right with God, but to help other people get on the right path and to find Him. Uh, it's funny, uh, little kids can be good at this or bad at this as far as kind of like sharing. Uh, Tyler, he is very rules oriented in his life. So if you tell him to do something or not to do something, he pretty much just listens to you. Uh, we never had that issue where he got up in the middle of the night because he would just, we told him, sit on your bed, sits on his bed. Um, one day, you know, I, I've kind of been taught by my dad, like there's no such thing as little things. Everything you do sends a message. Everything you do says something about who you are, what you believe, those kind of things. So with Tyler, one of the things I've been trying to work on is, is us using the word love the right way in our house. Um, you know, it drives me nuts that we say things like, oh, I love that football team, or man, I love that shirt. No, you do not. You really like that football team. You really like that shirt, but you don't love them. And so as a little kid, when I first heard him start to say things like, I love Batman, I go, you don't love Batman. You just really like Batman. You love mommy. You love daddy. You love Jesus. And so we worked on this for a while until he really got it. But the funny thing is, he's now better at it than I am. So now, I'll hear myself like, oh, In-N-Out Burger, I love that place. Dad, you don't love In-N-Out Burger, you just like In-N-Out Burger. You love Mommy and Daddy and Jakey and me and Jesus. And he is fine to now tell this to anybody that he meets. So I warn you all, if you say the word I love, not in regards to a person in front of my four-year-old, you will get a speech on how you don't love things. You only love people. All right? So what's funny is, as Christians, we a lot of times get put, have a target on our back. Have you noticed mainstream culture doesn't seem to attack Buddhism? It doesn't seem to attack Taoism? It doesn't seem to attack all these hundreds of other religions out there, yet it does absolutely seem in our culture that there is a target on the back of Christians saying, these people do not believe the right things, these people need to be quiet about their beliefs, these people need to realize that the rest of the world doesn't care. Ever feel that way sometimes? Well, the reason that you and I get that target on our backs is because different religions don't care about evangelism. In Buddhism, in Taoism, in Hinduism, there is no imperative, there is no direction from God that says, go tell other people about this. Those religions in and of themselves are inherently selfish in that the focus is you. You get right. You discover wisdom. You discover enlightenment, and that's all. But for you and me, that's not the case. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 21. In Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 21, Jesus, in his last words to us before he leaves this earth, gives you and I a command. 
And he gives us a command that's important because it's a mission that each and every one of us has. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of ages. So notice, did Jesus say, Hey, I'm glad you guys know me. I know you love me. Teach your kids. That's it. They say, hey, share Jesus, but please don't offend anybody. You know, I don't want you to offend anybody and tell them their beliefs are wrong. Did he worry about any of that? No, he gave us a command that not only do you now know the truth, and you're right with me, but go tell others. And it's not just here. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Where do we go? Everywhere. We have a responsibility to take this message, not just to your kids, not just to your neighbors, to the ends of the earth. So when we look at these, when we talk about the four spiritual laws, what we're really talking about is how do we do this? How do you take this book, which is 66 books written over 1,500 years by many different authors in different languages, how do you sum this up? into a short, concise way to explain people what is the gospel. How do you do that? And so the four laws are four tools that people have kind of broken up. Anybody ever seen these? Bible tracks? If you haven't, go ahead and take a look at our information center. Basically, all Bible tracks are is the four laws in slightly different ways. What they're trying to do is say, let's break down the gospel into a very easy way for us to share with other people. Is it going to answer every question? No. Is it going to explain every book? No. But it's going to outline the basic concepts of us in a relationship with God, what went wrong, and how God fixed it. And so as we look at these four laws, there's two windows I want you to look through. One, your own. Why are you here today? There are still a ton of Christians who are only Christians because either they grew up that way, or because mom and dad want them to be that way, or they have some backwards theology that teaches them that by being at church, they're earning some gold star from Jesus. And when they get to heaven one day, he's going to look and go, oh, you were at church regularly. You get to come to heaven now. It doesn't work that way. So the first thing you need to ask yourself as we go through these is, do I even understand these? Do I even understand what it means to be a Christian and to have a relationship with God? Being a Christian is not like being a Republican. It's not like being a Texan. It's not something that you just culturally accept and then passively be the rest of your life. Being a Christian is an active decision that impacts you every single day. Those of you before, when I do weddings, one of the statements I say is, the commitment you now make to each other, you will have to make each day from this point forward. The meaning of it is, you don't just say, hey, we're married, done, don't need to be committed to you from this point forward. 
No, each day you decide, I will love you. I will forgive you. I will walk with you. I will be dedicated to you. Same thing with your relationship with God. Just because you were baptized 25 years ago, just because you said some prayer 30 years ago, doesn't mean that you can then walk the rest of your life in your own path, your own direction, your own wisdom and go, but I'm a Christian because I did those things a long time ago. Being a Christian means you have a relationship with God. And so how we start to sum this up is we go, okay, how do we really look at what this relationship is built on? So window one is yourself. Window two is this. Can you share this truth to other people? Brothers and sisters, you have to be able to go to other people and explain to them the relationship you have with God and why it would be interesting for them. Our Lord commands it throughout the Word. You have to go out and share this with other people. Now I'll be honest, the reason this is so hard for us is we don't know why we're sitting here ourselves. So when you ask us to go explain it to other people, it's difficult to do. We're not sure. So you've got to be able to go, I know why I have a relationship with God. And with that knowledge, I can now share with others my own experience with Him. What He's done for me, how He's loved me, what His forgiveness has meant in my life. So those are the two things to think about. One, do you know these truths personally? Two, could you verbalize them? So law one. Law one is what we're going to really dive in today, but what I want to do is show you all four and then we'll come back to law one, okay? Law one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The basis of all of this is that yes, there is this powerful God, but He is not a God that created things and then sat back and just watched. Some of us have this view of this dispassionate God created everything that sits on some lofty throne in heaven and just watches us live life. Never interacting, never involving Himself, never talking to us, never having a relationship with us. It's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes a God who out of love made this world and made you and me. And He is daily, momentarily involved in everything. He's not a God that wants to be far from you. He's a God who wants to be intimately related to you. So that's the first thing. God loves you and He has a wonderful plan for your life. Law 2 man sinned and because of that sin he is separated from God not knowing his wonderful plan now this is important why it's important because it shows who broke the relationship God or us we did see brothers and sisters when we choose sin what we ultimately are saying is God I know what you want me to do but I don't want to listen to you I want to choose my own path, my own way, my own direction. And that's why sin's a big deal. It's not that God's sitting there with this red pen trying to find everything wrong you've ever said or done. It's ultimately what you're saying is, God, I don't want you to be my Lord. I don't want to come to you every day and go, what do you want me to do today? Instead, I want you to sit over here, I'm going to go live my life, and I'll reach out to you when things fall apart. When I mess things up, then I'll reach out to you and go, Hey God, can you help me out? Could you get me out of this? But really, day to day, when things are going well, I'd love it if you'd just stay quiet. 
brothers and sisters, that's not the relationship God describes at all. So, law one, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for you. But, law two, you and I have chosen sin in our lives, and that sin has separated us from the Father. That's why sometimes we feel like we can't hear him. But sometimes we feel like we can't feel him. We have this sin in our lives that has separated that perfection from us. Now, to be honest, the story could have stopped right there. It would have been perfectly acceptable if a perfect God said, I love these people. I'm going to build them paradise. I'm going to give them everything they could ever desire. No pain, no hurt, no sadness. I'm going to put them on this planet, and we're going to love each other. And then, when we messed up, would it not have been acceptable for him to be like, well, I'm done. I offered this to you. You didn't want it. See you later. Let's be honest. How many of us have done that in personal relationships? Have you ever done that with a person in your life? Right? You give them a chance. You try to make things work. It doesn't. So what do you say? Goodbye. God could have stopped right here, but that's not what happened. Law number three states this. God loved you so much that even after you sinned, He sent His Son Jesus to die for you so that we could be forgiven of our sins and restored to a right relationship with God. Now, brothers and sisters, I know you've heard that truth, but please don't minimize it. There's so many of us that when bad things happen, we want to go, where's God? God didn't even do anything. He could have stopped this. God did do something. God sacrificed His Son. So the pain of this moment would be temporary. Eternally, He's offered you life. In fact, for those that want to go, well, what did God do? I go, could He have done any more? For those of you that have children, who would you let your child go die for? I mean, we, we even in this country are used to sending our children to go fight, knowing that there's a potential they might not come back. God didn't know there was a potential he wouldn't come back. God knew Jesus was going to die. He knew that was the outcome. If that doesn't show how much he loves you, how much he wants you to be with him, there's nothing that will. He was willing to take his most precious gift, the one he loved more than any other, and let him die so that you and I could see forgiveness. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of people stop right here. A lot of people go, great, yeah, I believe there's Jesus. I believe He died on the cross for me. I believe He forgave my sins. You know what they're missing? The personal commitment that we have to make. See, you and I cannot earn heaven. It's a gift that's given to us, but we still have to accept that gift. And so what law number four talks about is we must place our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord to receive salvation. There's one word I really want to call out there, and that is the word Lord. So many of us are perfectly content with Jesus being just our Savior. Right? We were in a burning building. He rushed in. He grabbed us. He pulled us out. Thank you, Jesus. Talk to you later. It's not the relationship. 
Christ wants to be not just your Savior who saved you once, but your Lord who leads you daily. I told you before, there are so many of us we pray so badly. Because when we pray, what we say is, God, here are the desires of my heart. Please make them happen. And what we never pray is, God, tell me what you want me to do. God, show me which direction to go. Tell me how to help these people. Reveal to me, Father, your will, not mine. And so when you put these four together, you start to get the gospel. God loves us and made us. We messed it up badly. He didn't give up on us, though. Even after we messed it up badly, He paid the ultimate price to bring us back to Him. Now that gift has been offered, and all we have to do is choose. Do we want Him as our Lord? Or even after He saved us, are we still going to look at Him and go, eh, I'm good. I'm still going to call my own shots. I'm still going to live my own way. And so what I hope you see with these four things is, one, not that complicated of a message. Pretty easy to break up that gospel into those four things and be able to talk to people about them. The second is, is I hope you see how that story is a story that is throughout all the pages of the Bible. A loving God trying to call His children back. That's all it is. Now, as we go through the weeks, what I want us to look at is how these laws come together. So let's look at law number one first. Law number one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, when I like to talk to people about this law, I don't start with Jesus. The reason I don't start with Jesus is, is if you're not a believer, you may not have any kind of relationship with Jesus at all. So if Jesus is my only evidence that God loves you, well, if you don't know Him, then you could say, well, I've never felt God's love. But the reality is, every single one of us that's alive knows God's love. Why? Because we're here. The best way that you clearly just demonstrate that God loves people is through creation. Now, there's two parts of creation to look at. First, there's the creation of you and me. God made us. God made man. Now, I'm not going to give you a ton of evidence to back this up if you want to argue this from a scientific standpoint, but let me just point out a few things that are important to know. One, science, for all its knowledge and all its wisdom, there's one big question they can't answer. How we got here. In fact, science can't even show how life happens. It can observe life happening, but science cannot create life. So it's funny to me, as I've had this argument before with people who are scientifically minded, and what they will tell you is, I can't believe in Christianity. You guys believe in all these miracles. You think a guy walked on water. You think a guy came back from the dead. Please. Science shows us those things can't happen. But you know what science can't show us? How any of you are alive. But where I come from, if something happens over and over and over and over and over again, science is telling us we should expect it. So from a scientific standpoint, a miracle is something that cannot be explained. 
Well, if that's every single human being that's alive, I think science is telling us miracles happen quite frequently. And we should expect miracles on a regular basis, considering the fact we're miracles. God always has the ability to make things happen. Second, if you ever want to know that people were created by God, just look at humanity. Of all the cultures of all throughout history, from all different places, do you know what people have always done? Worshipped. Now they may worship a tree, they may worship animals, they may worship the sun, they may worship a man. People intrinsically in themselves have a desire to worship. Where's that come from? In my belief it comes from we know we were created to do that thing. So no matter where we go, no matter what we do, in us is this desire to worship. It's almost like, guess what? Wherever you go, you know what people do? They eat. Why? Because they have to survive. Even in America, where we have a growing group of people that are atheists, do you still see them worship? Go home today, turn on Fox, and watch a football game. And tell me what it looks like. You're going to have 60,000 people wearing jerseys of the players on the field with their names on their back, screaming at everything they do, cheering, singing songs, giving their money away, would we not call this worship? Absolutely. Have you not noticed how infatuated we are with celebrities in this country? Oh, she went where? She's wearing what? Who's dating who? Why do we care? Because we've elevated these people to a place higher than humanity. And now we worship their every move. Everywhere you go, people worship. And here's what God tells us about creation. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 10. It says, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Fison, and then the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that has flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, and it flows east out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all livestock, all the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Do you not see the context in which God created man? God goes through this process of bringing things into life by word. He says, let there be light, the sun appears. He says, let there be fish, the fish appear. He says, let there be trees, the trees appear. But with man, a couple different things happen. One, man comes at the end of his creation. And when God forms man, he doesn't simply speak it, he shapes it. God says he takes the dirt of the earth, formed it with his hands, and breathed life into it. No other creature does it talk about God breathing his life into it. Not only that, but after God forms man, look at what he does. He takes man, he puts him into a special place, and goes, everything you see is yours. I have provided your food, I have provided your shelter, and now I will even provide your companionship. Brothers and sisters, last week when we were talking about children, one of the things I said that you need to aim to do is to create an awe-inspired love in your kids. You need to teach them just to be in love with God. There are so many beautiful, wonderful, amazing things that you and I experience every single day. And you know what we fail to do? We fail to give God the praise for them. Who here loves a good cheeseburger? Do you know who created that flavor? Do you know who created the taste buds on your mouth that let you enjoy that flavor? God did. God could have just made it. They're like, hey, you eat this one thing, tastes like cardboard, and that gives you all your nutrients for the day, and that's it. Did he do that? No, think of every single flavor that he created. And then not only did he create them, but he put in certain of us that some of them bring us joy. Some of them make us happy. How many of you felt that breeze on a perfect, beautiful day? Who made that? God did. Not only did he create all the mechanics of our world that allow there to be a breeze, but he created your flesh that could feel that sensation. All the things that we experience from eating, from being out in the universe, from physical pleasures, all those were created by God. Every one of them. And yet we so often don't thank Him for that. What's funny is, you know, we'll look at paintings of great artists and be like, that's gorgeous. They're using colors that God invented. There literally would be no color in this world if it weren't for God Himself going, going to make this. That's pink, that's blue, that's green. He's this creative and wonderful being and He's put us here to enjoy it. What's funny is we get confused so often because what God does ask for us is balance. So God says food is good, just don't be a glutton. God says sex is good in this context and just don't let it control you. 
God says money is decent. Just don't let it be your master. All these things God gives us, He really isn't trying to restrict your life at all. He's just saying, hey, when those things move from being gifts that you realize I've given you to becoming the master of your life, well, then you have a problem. Keep all of these gifts in context. Understand what they are. And so as you talk to people about the fact that there's a God that loves them, you don't even have to go as far as Jesus on the cross. You can just start to point, hey, do you enjoy being alive? Do you enjoy a great Coke on a hot day with a cheeseburger and french fries? Do you enjoy listening to music? Do you enjoy dancing? Do you enjoy any of these things? Who do you think made you? Where do you think you come from? come from God. And He put all of these things in you. In Isaiah 49, verses 15 through 16, God says this to us. He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now women, I can't answer this question. I'm going to assume the answer is no. Can you forget your child when he's nursing? No? Can you forget your child at all? No? You don't forget us? I hope not. Right? God says... If a, why a woman who's nursing her child can't forget them, why do you think I'd forget you? Even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. God says, I, I love you so much. I think about you constantly. In Psalm 139, I'm not going to read all the verses. I've said this one to you guys so many times. It talks about how God formed us and created us. It says, In my mother's womb, you knit me together before my frame was even formed. <clears throat> Saying what? When God made people, it wasn't some cookie-cutter factory where He's just spitting out spirits. God sat down and He thought about you and He weaved you together. He built you wonderfully. God is intimately involved in your life. Luke 12, 7. Why, even the hairs of your heads are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. How much does God love you? He knows every single hair follicle on your head. That's, that's intense, right? That's, that's not like I'm kind of like you. That's I'm obsessed with you. The only people I've ever seen this kind of obsessed are stalkers and mothers and grandmothers. I love how like my wife will look at my son sometimes and be like, isn't he beautiful? And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's good. Just look at those little fingernails. The fingernails are just perfect. And I'm like, it's a fingernail. Yeah, it's great. But there's just this love for every single detail of those children. Every little bit of them. That's how God describes the way He loves you. God doesn't just kind of like you. He's obsessed with you. He thinks about your thoughts, about your life, about your plan, about everything you face. He's absolutely in love with you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Not only is He in love with you, but He promises this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. God has gone every direction He possibly can to try to bring you to Him and to put you on a path where you will have a joyful life. Now, key caveat, a joyful life. 
A lot of us like to preach the health, wealth, and prosperity. If you love God, you'll be rich. If you love God, all your diseases will go away. If you love God, your business will be successful. No. And here's why. What God cares about ultimately is the eternal destination of your soul. God is fighting so that in 300 trillion years from now, you're sitting by His side. So if He's got to take you through some pain for the 80 years you're here on earth to try to get you to a place where the eternity of your soul is protected, He will. He's going to do what He needs to do in the short time to try to bring you to Him forever. He's passionately obsessed with bringing you to Him. Not only do we see the love of God in the creation of man, we just see it simply in the creation of the world. In Genesis 1.31, it says God looked at everything He created and you know what He said? It's good. It's good. It's the understatement of all understatements. That you could look at this planet and this universe and be like, eh, it's good. Not bad. Makes me laugh because how many times have I, you know, have you ever do something you're like, it's perfect. God looks at the world and like, it's good work. Good work. God looked at everything he made and he said it was good. And you know what's amazing about our planet? Our planet is this unbelievable anomaly. Scientists actually don't understand how we have what we have in this planet. I want you look at a few things here. This is called the privileged planet. So one scientist looked at our world and he said, there are about 145 factors that have to be in exactly the right balance for life to even be possible on this planet. So not only are there 145 factors that need to be right, but these factors are each unbelievably sensitive. Meaning, if you would change them by one or two percent, they would immediately throw the entire planet out of whack. So just to give you kind of a taste of it, here's a few things. One, the rotation of our Earth is a very important thing. Why? The rotation of our Earth reduces the variation in temperature and allows for plants to create photosynthesis, which produces oxygen. If you were to change the rotation of our planet by 1%, you would no longer have the stable temperature in our planet, and you no longer would have an environment where plants could produce oxygen. Would that be a problem for you and me? Yeah. Kind of. Not only that, but its axis is tilted just enough to create an orbital plane that allows seasonal variations. Why is this important? For the health and prosperity of plants and animals. Change that by 1-5%. to 5%, And you would see a drastically different world where a lot of organisms could no longer live. Its moon causes tides that are just large enough to permit tidal zones, which is important for the way that we survive, and the ozone that protects our planet. Also, we have two nearby gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn. And what those two planets do is attract and catch many wandering asteroids and comets that don't hit Earth. Do you remember all those Armageddon movies? The rocks come and it's going to hit us? It doesn't happen to us. Because even where we're cosmically placed in the universe is in a perfect place where for something to actually get to us, the odds are so minimal. 
We actually have these two planets surrounding us that are huge and have great gravity just pulling all the debris in so that nothing ever makes it to us. A few more things. Alan, will you move me up to the next slide? We're just the right distance from the sun so that water melts but doesn't boil and steam away into space. Change that by 1%. Our planet's too hot, too cold, and we don't have drinkable water. We're in a habitable zone in the galaxy where radiation is not a threat. Not only that, but our orbit is a weird orbit. Our orbit is almost a perfect circle where the rest of the orbits are elliptical. Well, if our orbit around the sun was elliptical, guess what? There would be times of the year where we'd freeze to death or we'd burn. What I want you to see is, is when scientists, even they, look at our planet, they go, it's unreal. The chances that all these things would line up by accident. It's an astronomical chance that that would happen. In fact, even atheists who don't want to believe in a God are so troubled by this that what they've come up with is this theory of the multiverse. So what they say is, yes, Earth is very rare because it, it seems unlikely that all these things would just happen. But what you don't realize is there's an infinite amount of universes. So ultimately, one of these planets in all these different universes eventually had to have had this happen. Now what's funny is, is there any evidence that there's multiple universes? No. But the reason they came up with that theory is when they look at all these things, do you know what their scientific minds tell them? That doesn't happen by chance. When you look at something and it looks like it was well designed, it probably means it was well designed. Brothers and sisters, what we need to see is, is that everywhere we are, everything we see, everything we experience, is a gift from God. Everywhere He's screaming out to us, I love you. I care about you. You're important to me. Everywhere He is trying to tell His children, I've thought about your well-being. And so as we talk about the Gospel, the first thing to think about is just that. There's a God that loves me. You know what? There's a God that loves all of us. It's funny, so often when we say those statements about God, what we do is we take them just for us. But you know that jerk that cut you off on the road on the way here to church? God loves them just as much as He loves you. And you know that person you can't stand to talk to and you have to say a little prayer about you being a nice person when you run into them? God loves them just as much. So remember that when you're walking by people, when you're interacting with people, when you're dealing with the jerks of life, guess what? Those are God's children too. And we need to do a better job at one, feeling this love, and two, acknowledging it in other people's lives. What's funny about Christianity is, the last thing that we should ever be recognized as is a religion of rules. What we should be known as is a relationship of love. What God's trying to teach you and to teach me is, everywhere you look, see me. Everywhere you look, see my fingerprints. 
Everywhere you look, see a gift from me. Next week, we'll jump into law number two, but I really want you to think about law number one this week. There is a God that loves you, and He has a wonderful plan for your life. All right? As we go into our prayer time, I'm going to be down here at the front. Brother Joe's going to come up with me. If there's anything that you want to pray with us about, feel free to come forward. Otherwise, just pray where you're at to God. And if you don't know what you want to pray about, just thank Him. Thank Him for the wonderful things that are all around us every day that we take for granted. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. I'll stand.
It's always such a blessing to worship with you guys. I thank you for being here this morning. Uh, just a couple things. One, thank you guys. What a great job you all did this week uh, with Brother, Brother Milam's funeral, with the meal. Um, just thank you. You guys always to come together with so much love, with so much sacrifice, and I, I truly just appreciate that. Uh, you guys make uh, such an impact in just the little things we do. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that spirit. For